Welcome. Those online, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen. God's got a good word for you. Tell your neighbor, God's got a good word for you today. Amen. If you invite your, I invite you to open your Bible, please, and find with me Romans chapter number one. And we're going to look in Romans chapter number one, beginning today with verse number 15. I hope you have your copy of God's word. This morning's text, before we read it, is considered the theme text of the entire book of Romans. It's a concise statement that Paul has given us, and it's one of the most important sentences in all of his writings, some have said in all of literature. And so he gives us in these two sentences the theme of the book and indeed the essence of Christianity. It's at the very heart of what we believe. You see, as we look at this text, they tell a man how he could be made right with God. The book of Romans is all about that. How that a man might be, a sinful man might be made right with a holy God. And also the book of Romans is how is that man who's been made right with God live right before God. And so as we look into this text of scripture today, I'm asking you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart today to convict you today, to convince you today, to comfort you today. The reason that this text is so important is because we're not right with God in our own selves. We are rebellious. Would you all agree with that? We are rebellious. We are not right. We are under God's righteous judgment. We have all been polluted by sin. We are filthy in our sins. All of our own righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. He is holy, he is just, he is perfect, and he is pure. And without Christ, we are unholy, and we are diseased and infected and loathsome before a holy God. We have no standing in ourself. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right with God. And we are deserving the righteous sentence of death and hell. That is the bad news. But there's good news. And that good news is found in Jesus Christ. What can we do to fix ourselves? You can do nothing to fix yourself. Tell your neighbor, you can't fix yourself. You can't. There's nothing inside of you that is good in that regard. You cannot make yourself right with God. And these, tell, these verses tell us that God has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He's done for you what you could not do. He's done exactly what we most desperately need. And he has provided for us to be made right before God. It is divine righteousness, and God is just in doing so. And God is making us right and just before him. And it is not by our works, it is not by our acts, but it's by simple faith in the accomplished work that God has done for us. Amen. This is the greatest news in all of the world. So that's today is not the sermon, but I just wanted to say, get that off my chest before we got started. So in verse number 15, if you look with me, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. It is good news. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. Now notice notice in verse number 16, 4, that 4 connects verse 16 to verse 15. For, or because, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The Greek word for is found again. It's translated here because. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it's written, the righteous will be, will live by faith. Father in heaven, I pray that today as we study your word together, that God, you would speak to our hearts 
about your provision that you have made for us that we might be made right with you. Lord God, I pray that if there's someone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that they have not repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that today that your Holy Spirit would draw them, your Holy Spirit would enlighten them, your Holy Spirit would convert them, and today they might run to Christ, throw themselves on him, trust him as Savior and Lord, and be born again, and be, find eternal life and right relationship with you. Oh, Father, we can't do this by ourselves. We can't live this life by ourselves, and we cannot save ourselves. But, God, we trust in you. We need you. Lord, there may be, and there most certainly would be today, in a congregation like this, someone who's drifted away, who's lost the joy of their salvation, who's not living rightly before God. And I pray that today they would come home in repentance, turning from their sin and contrition of heart, turning to you, embracing Christ, and experiencing restoration in their life. Oh, Father, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice with me in verse number 15, Notice Paul's readiness. He is gospel ready. He says in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now notice in verse, uh, verse number 16, it gives us the word for, so we've got to go back. It connects verse 16 to verse 15 and says, before I am not ashamed of the gospel, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because of what? No, notice he says, because I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I can't wait to get to Rome to preach to you. I'm eager, I'm longing, I'm desiring. I am ready to come to you as soon as I'm allowed by God to come. And as soon as the obstacles that have been in the way, the hindrances, I'm coming to you. And I intend to go to Spain also. And I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For my part, I'm ready to come. I'm eager to come. And when I come, I'm not coming to see the sites of Rome. When I come, I'm not here to see the... I don't want to come and see the buildings of Rome. When I come, I'm not here going to Rome to petition the government. I, when I come to Rome, I don't want to eat your fine cuisine. When I come to Rome, I'm not coming on a vacation. When I come to Rome, I'm coming to preach and minister and among you to proclaim the good news that, I have, that we know in Jesus Christ. And he says, I want to proclaim it to those of you who are in Rome. In Romans chapter 15, verse number 20, he says, So my aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named in order that I will not be building on somebody else's foundation. Paul says, I've never been in Rome. And he said, there's, as far as we know, there's never an apostle been at Rome, but God has built a church in Rome, and he can't wait to go to those believers and lay out before them the gospel that he preaches and encourage them with the gospel that he preaches and to do evangelism with them, with the, using, uh, declaring the gospel that he preaches. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, it says, So if anyone purifies himself from these, he'll be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Let me tell you what, the Apostle Paul was prepared for every good work. He couldn't wait to go to Rome and preach the gospel to those that were there. He wants to, he wants to share the gospel, preach the gospel. He wants them to understand the good news that is found in Jesus Christ. It is so easy to get distracted, isn't it? It is so easy to get off center and to forget what our main calling is. Paul understands. He says, I don't want to lose sight of what God has called us to do. Amen. In 2 Timothy chapter number 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 21, listen to what he says. He says, um, he says if anyone him, purifies himself from these things, what things? That we need, we need to understand that we need to 
turn away from useless discussions and infighting. Verse number 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent, empty speech. For those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. So he's saying, live your lives rightly before God. Preach the word. Be persistent in it. Proclaim the message in season and out, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. Is That's Paul's charge to Timothy. You be ready, my son, to preach the gospel wherever you go. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Paul said, I'm ready. I'm eager. I can't wait to come and preach the gospel to you. Let me ask you say, Pastor, how do I live ready? I'm glad you asked. Number one, you need to be living right. Amen. If you're not living right, and you're not rightly living before the Lord, confessing your sin, if you're living a compromised life, you will not be bold in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Secondly, don't be distracted. Don't get distracted about things that don't matter. Don't fight over meaningless issues. Don't go to sleep. Don't get on a detour that, you, that, that is, is foolishness. You ever been on a foolish detour? I have. I hate to tell you all the detours I've been on in my life. I, don't, I haven't told this story in a long time, but I'll tell on myself because I do so many stupid things. If Christy was in the room now, she would probably say amen right there. <laughs> Actually, I was, I was just a kid. I was 18, 19 years old, something like that. This was back in the day. Uh, some of you all remember this. This is back in the day when Jimmy Carter was president, and he put a speed limit of 55 miles an hour on all the highways. <laughs> Only old people now remember that, but that was, uh, it was to conserve gas. Some of you, Dan Patterson would know this. He's old enough. And so... <laughs> So, uh, you know what, it was before the internets, before cell phones. This was ancient history. I heard about a dad that said to his kids one day, he said, I'm older than Google. They said, no. <laughs> so you know what people did? They bought CB radios and they put them in the car so they would know where the cops were at so they could drive faster. John, you say you've been there. I didn't, couldn't afford a CB radio, so I just got behind a truck, <laughs> followed it, so I could go as fast as I could. I was trying to go to Arkansas, and I was going to visit a college that I thought I might want to go to, and I was interested in playing football there, and, and so I was driving to the, there, and on the way there, just outside of West Memphis, Tennessee, I was in my little Subaru car between two semi-trucks going as fast as they were going. And all of a sudden, they stopped, and I wondered why. And we were on the interstate, I thought. And what had happened was they had pulled off to a truck stop, and I didn't know it, and I was in between the two of them. <laughs> they both inched up close to me, so I couldn't get around them, and so I pulled on the scale. <laughs> the guy running the scale was looking at the numbers, and all of a sudden, he looked up and goes, and I, I was stuck. It was a bit embarrassing. They were honking their horn. <laughs> I don't know what that had to do with the sermon, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's so easy to get distracted over senseless and useless and stupid stuff, and we get detoured. And we get detoured into foolishness when we've got the greatest news in all the world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to awaken to what's really important Amen. and start fighting, quit fighting over stupid and senseless stuff and quit trying to cancel one another and quit trying to live all about politics and government. And why don't we get about what God's called us to do, which is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. We need to preach the gospel. We need to be ready at the grocery store, on the soccer field, at the volleyball tournament, 
in your workplace, in your neighborhood while you're walking the dog. Be instant, ready to preach the gospel. We need to pray for opportunities to preach the gospel. We need to preach to one another the gospel. Preach to believers the gospel. Why? We need to discuss the gospel, encourage each other in the gospel, talk about the ramifications of the gospel, counsel one another with good counsel with the gospel, talk about the grace of God, the provision of God in Christ, the, the, the understanding that our self-righteousness and, and judgmentalism uh, is not right because it doesn't make us closer or right with God. Talk about the reconciliation that is found in Jesus Christ to a holy God, about the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. We need to preach the gospel and be gospel ready. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome for, because, brings us to the next point, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The next point in the sermon is gospel pride. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is a figure of speech that is used by Paul. It is a positive idea that is stated in a negative form. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is he really saying? I'm glorifying in the gospel. I'm proud of the gospel. I'm celebrating in the gospel. I'm confident in the gospel. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am not ashamed of it whatsoever in my life. What makes us ashamed? Do you think Paul was ever tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Of course he was. None of us like to be ridiculed. What causes us to be ashamed? Sometimes when you're ridiculed by others, ridiculed by the world, ridiculed by other men, it hooks our pride, and so we don't like to be ridiculed. Don't like, anybody, like to, anybody like it when somebody makes fun of you, ridicules you, puts you down, makes you feel small? I don't think this is just a psychological thing, but I do think that Paul was tempted in this way. He says, I'm not ashamed, though. He said, I am not ashamed. You can try to put shame on me, and you can try to ridicule me, but I won't back down. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, they would make fun of Paul. The legalists would make fun of Paul. The sophists would make fun of Paul. The philosophers would make fun of Paul. Those that were connected would make fun of Paul. The educated class would make fun of Paul. He said, when I come to Rome, or I go to Athens, or go to Corinth, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So when he would come, there would be some who would disdain him. There would be some that would just try to put him down. Who is this Jew? He's, yeah, he's from Tarsus. He may have a Roman citizenship, but he's still just a Jew. He's from Judea. He studied in Judea. He's from the backwater area of the Roman Empire. He talks about, preaches about, some Palestinian Jew who was convicted of a crime and died on an executioner's cross. Foolishness. And they make fun of him, jeer him. The second reason that people often, I think, are ashamed of the gospel is the pride of man. We like to think that we earn our salvation. We earn our right standing with God, that we are righteous within our own self. And the gospel is all about that you're unrighteous in yourself and you have no ability to save yourself. It goes against the grain of what man wants to believe. And then the cross itself is offensive. When we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, people will be offended by that. Because it talks about Jesus Christ was crucified because of your sin, because of your shame, because of your guilt, because you are messed up and only Jesus can save you. Amen. So it's the gospel. Jesus warned us not to be ashamed. In Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 38, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of his Father with holy angels. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of his words. 
Paul said the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And matter of fact, and listen to what he says. He says in verse number 17 of chapter 1, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Jews ask for signs. Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Yes, Lord. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Yet, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, yeah, hallelujah, Christ is the power of God. And the wisdom of God. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, the cross of Jesus is foolishness to men. It's foolishness to the Jews. It's stumbling block. It seems foolishness to the Gentile. But to those who are being saved, those who are called, is the power of God. That's why we preach Jesus. But as for me... I will not boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified, and I to the world, Paul said in Galatians 6. Paul reminds young Timothy, don't be ashamed of me in my chains. Don't be ashamed of me in my suffering. He says, don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. If I suffer for Christ, I'll glory in that. He said, you don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed because the world considers it to be foolishness. Don't be ashamed because it's offensive to the world. But you, you boast in the gospel of Jesus. Gospel pride. Amen? We need to be proud of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Why are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed to talk about the gospel? Are you ashamed to tell the gospel to other people? Why? I want to say this. I'll tell you why. You are ashamed of the gospel either because you don't believe it. You're ashamed of the gospel because you care more about what the world thinks than what God thinks. You're ashamed of the gospel because of your own pride. Because you'd rather other people like you than obey the Lord. Why are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you believe that this is the greatest news in all the world? Do you believe that this is the only hope for all of mankind? Do you believe that this is the difference between heaven and hell? Then let's preach the gospel, my friends. Let's be bold in the gospel, talking about the gospel, declare the gospel. Let's be gospel people. We've quit being a church if it's not all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel proud of the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek amen well let's look together he's not only he talks about gospel pride but he moves us to gospel power notice in verse number 16 what he says for it is the power of God unto salvation it is God's power first of all it's dynamic power the word there is the word uh, for power is translating the word dunamis. It is God's power. This word dunamis means explosive power, means transformative power. It is creative power. When the gospel is proclaimed, God's power is working. It's the means by which God accomplishes salvation and those who are being saved. We preach the gospel, and when we preach the gospel, God goes to work in a powerful, powerful way. 
The early reformers said it is the actual preaching by word of, the ma- of mouth that the Holy Spirit works. It's not just preaching the facts. It is indeed preaching the facts. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus was buried in a grave. And Jesus rose again. It's not just preaching those, but there's something happening. It's not just the facts But there's something happens when I and when you proclaim this good news under the anointing of the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit of God works mysteriously and powerfully, awakening out of death into life those who are being saved. God's elective, powerful purposes and he's given us this message of reconciliation, and we're to preach it yes, Lord. in a broken, messed up world. Amen. It's power. The book of Ezekiel 37 is one of, my great, one of the great stories found in the Old Testament, right? Ezekiel looks, do you all remember the story? He looks in the valley, and what's all over the valley? Dry bones. It says they were very dry and very what? scattered. They are disassembled and scattered all over. Can you imagine? I would like to be on an archaeological dig there. I got a thigh bone over here. Male or female? Don't know. Where does it belong? Don't know, right? Be a mess. And he asked the prophet a question, son of man. Can these bones live? What would be your answer? Only you know. He said, preach to the bones. Now that's a dry, dead crowd. I won't say a word. And he preaches. And there's a rattling. And a coming together. Bone, finding bone, connecting to bone, and sinew, and flesh. Wow, what a sight. But they're not alive. They preach to the Spirit. And a mighty wind of God makes them a living army. When you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, dead men come to life. And they become men and women of God. We need to preach the gospel. It's the power of God. It not only is dynamic, it delivers. It rescues us. That's the power of God unto salvation. The word salvation I want us to consider it today and look at it sort of from the negative and the positive thing that salvation does for us. First of all, it delivers you from the guilt of sin. How many of y'all have ever felt the guilt of sin in your life? You knew the guilt of sin. Felt You knew that you were guilty in your trespasses and sins. The book of Romans, chapter number 3. How many of y'all have ever sinned? Raise your hand. Uh-huh. The rest of you are just lying. All right, all have sinned and come short of his glory. There's no one righteous, no, not even one. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. This is the whole argument that he begins in verse 18 of chapter 1. He is saying we are all sinners. We're all sinners. The pagans were sinners. The idolaters are sinners. They've gone headlong in their denial of God and all of creation and what could be known about God, their own consciences about God. They are under sin, and they're condemned by their sin. God gave them up in their sin, but so are the moralists and those who think that they are better than others. They are condemned in sin, too, because they, too, are sinners, and so are the Jews. The Jews have the law, but they can't keep the law, so they are also underneath sin. That's exactly what he's saying. Verse 10, there's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All 
alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers venomous under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Notice what he says. He says we are all sinful, all of us. In verse number 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. We're underneath it. We're condemned to death because of our sin. All of us bear the weight of sin. It's not just a feeling of sin, but it is literally the guilt of sin. We are legally guilty before God, and we emotionally feel the burden and guilt of our sin. When's the first time you ever felt the guilt of sin in your life? Do you know when was the first time you ever felt the guilt of sin in your life? I remember as a little boy, an incident that happened in my life. I don't know how old I was, was. I suppose maybe six years old. We were living at the time in East Central Kentucky, and my dad was a school teacher and a pastor. We, mom bought us some new clothes for church with firm instructions. Don't tear these clothes up. Don't be rowdy. I was notoriously tearing the holes in my knee, tearing holes in my knees. And so it was the first time I ever warmed to church. I was running, playing tag in the parking lot after church with some other boys. Fell in the gravel, tore the knees out of my pants. It was nighttime after Sunday night church. I slipped into the back of the, church, uh, the car, put my hands over my knees, hope my mom didn't see it, ran into the house before she could see my knees, slipped off my dress pants and slipped them underneath the bed. And when you're a kid, you don't think about paydays coming someday. <laughs> On Saturday, she said, Tim, I've looked everywhere in the closet. Where are your dress pants? I have no clue. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Covered with the guilt of my own sin. She knew. Where are they? Did you look under the bed, Mom? They might have slipped under there. <laughs> she pulled them out. Well, there was a reckoning. And then she patched them. She got out of the sewing machine, patched them, pressed them, and I wore them. But I felt the patch against my skin. How about the guilt of your own sin? Christ bore your sins and he bore my sin and he died the death that we deserved and he bore the shame that we deserved and God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, God, God has done a work in us and he's given us peace in our hearts and in our minds through Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of the guilt of your sins, all of that legal transaction has been dealt with in a just way because a just one died for unjust ones. The righteous one died for unrighteous ones so that he might bring us to God. He bore the full condemnation in himself so that we might not be condemned under sin. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You have been delivered from the full weight and the legal guilt of your sin. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. The West Virginia coal mining town, there was a Family practice, rural doctor, Alexander Johnson. Alexander Johnson was the only doctor that little town knew for a generation. 
He delivered babies. He stitched up wounds and prescribed medicine and did minor surgeries and took care of the people of his little town. Many of the people in that poor coal mining town could never afford to pay the doctor. They lived paycheck to paycheck, often without work, but he still took care of them, still delivered their babies. Sometimes their payment would be eggs or groceries, or sometimes their payment would be chicken, livestock. Sometimes they'd just write in his ledger what they owed him. And when the bill got so large, and he knew they could never pay, he'd take a red pen, and he wrote canceled with his initials underneath. When the old doctor died, some of his family members got his ledgers, and they tried to go back and get payment from those who he had canceled their debt. It went to the law, to the judge, the judge got out the logbook, the ledger book, and he said to the children who were bringing the case, would you recognize your father's writing? And they said, yes, sir. Would you look at this ledger with me? Yes, sir. Is that his handwriting? Yes, sir, it is. He said that if the one in authority is written canceled, it's canceled. The God of heaven canceled the debt of your sin in the blood of Jesus Christ, never to be brought up again. Hallelujah. Your sin, you've been delivered from not only the guilt of your sin, but the power of, your, of sin. Sin has a power in your life, power over my life. We were enslaved to sin. We're blinded by sin. We were given ourselves as disobedient and disobedience in sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, he says, So you, too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you may obey its desires. He says, in verse 13, or do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. He says, listen, you don't have to live you are not in the shackles to sin any longer. You can live a new life. You can live a changed life. You can live a life to the glory of God. You need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. He says, remember your baptism. In chapter number 6, he says, Aren't you, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. My friends, you are set free. Satan had you blind. Satan had you shackled. And you were held under his bondage. But praise be to God, your guilt not only was removed, but the power is broken. And you can live a brand new life Amen. in Christ Jesus. You can live. Yeah, yes, you will fail. Yes, you will sin. But you don't live under the mastery of the evil one anymore. You've been set free. And the power of sin is broken loose. Hallelujah. He delivers us from the pollution of sin, ultimately. We are 2 Peter 1.4. We escape in the corruption that is in this world. We live in a world that's filled with corruption, isn't it? How many of you all believe this world's corrupt? Sin has had an effect. It's had an effect in all of creation. The fall is devastating, more devastating than you and I could ever fathom. And when mankind fell, it brought sin into the world in a corruptive way. And all of life and all of the world order, it's insipid. It has spread like, 
it's, it's spread like yeast throughout all of the culture. And sin is corruptive, it's corrosive, it, it disfigures us, it destroys us. And this sin has an effect in our life, that's why there's greed and lust and hate and adultery and lying and stealing and murder and hoarding and war and hatefulness. And the seeking of pleasure and satisfaction and meaning. And it's all corrupt. And it's corrupted government. It's corrupted politics. It's corrupted every tribe and tongue and nation and person has been corrupted by this pollution of sin that we live in. And what will deliver us? It's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that there's a hope for mankind because our guilt is removed, the shackles are removed, and God's work of salvation is not done yet. He has saved us, He is saving us, and He someday will save us. It is a great eschatological truth that the Lord Jesus is going to bring it all to completion. He's at work in you. And in this world, and he will carry out salvation for us all. He delivers you for something. He restores you. And this is the second part of the way the salvation works in us. It's not only delivering us from something, it's restoring us to something. This salvation working in us. This power of God working in us restores you to complete forgiveness and cleansing. It's not just the removal of the guilt legally, but He, in fact, makes you clean again. Can somebody say praise God? In Jude 24, it says, We're blameless blameless. That means there's no guilt. He doesn't bring it up. Have you ever had somebody say, I forgive you, but they still bring it up. There's no scars. There's no patches on the knees of your soul. It's restored to new. Can somebody say amen? It's restored Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be what? Scarlet, they will be what? White as what? Snow. Though they're red like what? Crimson. They'll be like wool. Beautiful. Gone, 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 gone. Guess my sins are gone. They're buried. In the deepest sea. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he moved your transgressions from you. And you're restored. He restores you to communication with God. Before your sins, was a, there was a barrier. But now you're the children of God. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? children of God. That's why we can say our Father. In Romans chapter number 8, in verse number 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by which we call out Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are what? God's what? Children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. You have access to the very presence of God. You are a child of God. In my phone... Are the children of, are all of my children, of course, 
in my cell phone. I get phone calls all the time from people I don't know the number to. Does that happen to anybody else besides me? If you're not in my contact list, I'm not answering. But if the phone rings and it says, Andy, I'm answering. If it says, Lindsay, I'm usually answering. <laughs> if it's Valerie, I'm answering. If it's Brad, I'm shocked. Yesterday, Jolene, our little granddaughter, was in the sunroom. Christy said, I got to go do something. I've been with them long enough. You have Jolene. And she was toddling all around. And I sat in the floor, and she toddled over to me. And she put her arms like this hold me. And I said, Don't bug me. I got stuff to do. You think that's what I said? No. no. I got down the floor and I just played with her. She's my daughter. My granddaughter. Your father loves you like that. Even better. Even greater. He's not only forgiven you, he's restored you. Amen. And you are a child of God. <laughs> wow. Awesome. And he restores hope. He who began a good work in you will complete it. You didn't start this work of salvation. You didn't initiate it. And he's the one that did. And he's the one that will finish it. This created water is so messed up, but God's not done. In that great chapter of chapter 8, of Romans, he says in verse number 18, I consider the sufferings of the present time not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Amen. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for the God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. The whole creation's been growing together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting what? The redemp our, for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. It's in this hope. We were saved. God's working. <laughs> Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And listen, he, he, he has saved us. He is saving us. But praise be God, he will save us. He's going to wrap this thing all up. I can't wait. There'll be no more sin. Amen. No more sickness. Can anybody say amen to that? There's no more sorrows. No more death. No more global pandemics, no more viruses, no more vaccinations, no more glasses, hallelujah, no more arthritis, no more divorce. There will be no more politics, no more denominations. Somebody said when we get to heaven, everybody be quiet. Southern Baptists think they're the only ones in there. And so uh, there'll be no more hate. There'll be no more racism. There'll be no more poverty. There'll be no pharmacies. There'll be no funerals. 
There'll be no more war. You won't have to buy insurance policies. There'll be no more capitalism. There'll be no more communism. There'll be no more socialism. And the lion and the lamb will lay down together. And the little children will play children's games before an adder's hole. And they will not hurt or do any harm in all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. My God is working, and he will finish the work. Can somebody say amen? amen. I'm sure my time's done. I'm afraid to look at the clock. Stay with me. The gospel reach. We will pick up on this theme next week. But the gospel reach to everyone who believes. The gospel is for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's for everyone. That's why we go and preach this good news to everyone who will listen. The elective work of God is his work. But we are to passionately preach the Lord Jesus, passionately preach the gospel to Greeks and barbarians and Jews and Gentiles and slave and free and male and female, the educated and the uneducated, the rich man and the poor man, to Republicans and Democrats, to every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people, to refugees and to citizens, to the simple and to the smart. We are to preach Jesus Christ and say, come to me. The spirit and the bride, because they come. And all who are thirsty, come. And let the one who hears say, come. The one who's thirsty, come. It's for everyone who believes. You must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. This is the greatest news I know in all of the world. Father in heaven, thank you for the great truths that are found here in this great book. And thank you for how you've saved us and how you're working in us. Father, there's somebody here today that doesn't know Christ or wandered far away from home. I pray that today they might come and find salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.